Warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! Samples here. Folks, I don't mind telling you I made a bundle pushing used cars. And starting this weekend, I'm passing my profits on to you. Come on down to the lot and ask one of our salesmen out of on parole to work out some terms for you. That's BR549. And hold down the collect calls. I'm no Rockefeller, you know.
betray the human toe. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 161 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gord. How's it going, man? Happy holidays. Happy holidays. To- oh, no, no, no. What? Trump told us we got to say Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> we talked about this before. God damn it. Happy holidays is inclusive of Christmas and New Year's. I don't want to say to you Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. It's easier to say Happy Holidays. So you don't have to bring any Trump shit like, oh, well, that means that you are against Kwanzaa. No. Happy holidays. I'm going to say Well, what happens if I'm trying to wish you a happy Saturnalia? Then wish me that. No, I can't. I've been directed by by none other than the President of the United States of America. Merry Christmas. I have to to say, I don't believe in the war in Christmas. I don't think that's a thing. (laughs) No, it's totally a made-up thing. It's not not real at all. It's like trickle-down economics. It's like totally fake-ass shit somebody made up one day. You know what is real? Israel, yes. That's a country in the Middle East. No. What is real is what is real? the 2018 Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Festival. We have funded, my friend. What? what, what? That's right. You know it. I, I, I know it. Myself. We are thrilled that, yes, the Kickstarter was complete last night at 6 p.m., and we came in at 133% to our goal, which means that, yes, on April 14th, 2018, we will be presenting to you the 8th Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Fest, all the comedy horror shorts, features you can stand, plus live music from Devilwood. And uh, all the Kickstarter backers get a sweet laser-etched Bone Bat mug on top of the bargain. Laser etched. Laser etched. How cutting edge is that? That is, well, there's actually no cutting edge. It's a, it's a laser, dude. Oh, yeah, sorry. I meant that poetically. Okay. I didn't realize we were going to get all iambic pentameter in this house. Speaking of that, how's your cat? <laughs> yeah, you know, I was going to lead off the show talking about my, my deformed cat, but we got all off on this other, you know, holiday thing. Let me tell you, my cat is developing some sort of massive uh, tumor-type structure on his face. Uh, so that I, sounds I took, vaguely horrible. It is vaguely horrible, but, you know, it's, it's what he does now. It's, it's, he's the elephant cat. I am not an animal. Yeah, actually, you are an animal. You're my cat. But I took him to the vet because I, I was worried about this, this new addition to his head. And as vets are wont to do... One of the first things a veterinarian did was she took a thermometer and uh, and she she pushed in his uh, little kitty back door. Okay. And and the cat right, was right in, the old, uh, right in the cat box, right in the old star, as opposed to the pound sign. Yes, yes, right in the dog blossom. Does a cat have a dog blossom? I don't think so. Be a cat blossom. Yeah, I guess it would. A kitty blossom. Yeah. So the cat was really, really not uh having any of that he started like howling and, and uh squirming and, and making general unhappy sounds so there's like you know a little bit of weirdness in the room me the vet the, the cat with the thing up his butt so to ease his tension i go hey it's okay kitty you know some cats they pay extra for this <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so Was the i guess cat the amused? Vet, the cat no that is not the kind of thing that amuses your cat the, the veterinarian she was laughing. The cat, not laughing. 
But the thing about a veterinarian who's laughing while taking a cat's temperature is is he began to get the uh, anal uh, jiggle going on because there was still a thermometer in there, and she was holding the thermometer and laughing. So the cat was really, really not thinking it's funny. So uh, anyway, afterwards, I, I brought the, I apologized to the cat, first of all, because that's the right thing to do. And I, I brought this up with one of my uh, friends who's a veterinarian, and she said that, a lot of times when, when she's doing the uh, the temperature thing, if it's a guy who's brought the animal in, the guy will say, yeah, I don't like it when the doctor does that to me either. And she says it's just really super creepy. It's like this default <laughs> creepy thing to say. So listeners out there, if you are bringing your animal into the veterinarian, don't use that line. It doesn't ease the tension. It makes you seem creepy. That's fantastic. You're turning this into a public service announcement. Yeah. The more you know, so I thought, you know, maybe uh, we could think of some other, like, even less appropriate things to say to the veterinarian when the vet is taking your cat's temperature. Like? I, like, uh, yeah, take it. Don't say that. Don't say that. Super okay. creepy. Noted. Uh, okay. Business in the How, front, party in the back? <laughs> probably not. Probably kind of <laughs> creepy. Okay. Don't, yeah. don't uh, say that either. Definitely don't say, uh, me next. Yeah, I won't. No, super creepy. And and then if they if you get like negative feedback, don't say, "Okay, fine. You next." Other things not to say to the veterinarian <laughs> oh, while she's taking the cat's temperature. Hey, hey, my <laughs> eyes are up here. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. I, I think I'll use that next time. That's probably not too creepy. Oh, okay. How about uh, How about weird? He usually purrs when I do that. Don't don't say that. Uh, also, don't say, "Hold on, I got to let me let me video record this for, for later. Wink. Apparently, <laughs> that that would be that would be creepy. That'd I think I'm creepy. just gonna end the list that, right there. That's that's yeah, creepy I, enough. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. That's that's creepy. Good to know. Yeah. If you wanna like never get another appointment at the veterinarian again, or you call in with a sick animal and they're like, ah, uh, no, animal's gonna die. You're too weird. I go through that's more the- veterinarians this way. <laughs> Do you really? Because I just wrote the list. What were you doing? <laughs> Another thing never to say in front of your veterinarian. <laughs> <laughs> Is it weirder to look at the cat or the veterinarian when you're doing that? So, so Steve. Yeah. What music are we listening to? Speaking of rectal thermometers and small animals. What is this we're listening to? I just lost my segue. <laughs> because I'm sure the band uh, is really not excited about being associated with cat rectums. But uh, what are we listening to, so let's Steve? Let's just do a complete clean break. <laughs> a clean break. Joining us on the just... show tonight, I am thrilled to have the opportunity to feature the music of BR549 from... Nashville, Tennessee, uh, a really cool country band that uh, I discovered like back in 2004. I heard uh, the tune "That's What I Get" on KEXP played up here on the Swinging Doors Radio Show, and uh, went back and bought like all their stuff. And Julie and I used to listen to the CDs a ton. And then uh, recently, remember my computer died like six months ago, and so I was sort of going through the process of reassembling my music collection on the new computer and I hadn't listened to them in a while and I put them on and I'm like man I forgot how great this band is and 
I emailed him and said, hey, you, are you guys interested in coming on the show? And Smiling Jay McDowell, the bassist and founding member of the band, was kind enough to uh, sit down and give me some time this evening. So we've got a great interview with him, plus a lot of really good music coming up. So I hope you dig that. Right on. Yeah, I'm super fired up about it. Really good stuff. So there, there is a silver lining to your, your computer melting down. Yeah, I would say so. Cool. So, yeah, fortunately, the computer's not pissing me off anymore, man. Steve, let me ask you, what does? What oh. does piss you off? You know, actually, there is something that's pissing me off right now. And it's it's such a first-world problem, but I'm still going to bitch because that's what we do here right. on the Bone Bash you Show. You do that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it's We have been so busy lately with the film festival Kickstarter and holiday preparations and just work and... My son's playing basketball, and my daughter's involved in things, and life in general, that I can't find two and a half hours to go watch the fucking Star Wars movie. I can't go see a movie. I can't see the That's play. a big deal for you, too, because you once told me if you don't see the new Star Wars, like, on the opening weekend, you're a hater. I'm like a the, hater. the Star Wars guy, and I haven't been to see Last Jedi yet. Also, Shape of Water, I love Guillermo del Toro also, and I haven't seen that yet. Now, granted, it's yeah, playing in sucks. one theater in a 50-mile radius, but still, haven't seen that. Haven't seen, I want to see The Disaster Artist. That'll probably be out of the theaters in five minutes. Haven't seen that Really? Either. Wait, wait, wait. Step back. What? You want to see that movie? Yes. That movie looked terrible. It looks like it's probably pretty funny. I want you to see that movie and report back you to me because... So you're, you're not, I think you're confusing it with The Room, the movie that it's about. No. I, yeah. I saw the preview... For that movie, and I was aghast. I turned to my son, who was next to me, and he just goes, Dad, why would anyone want to see that? I think it looks great. You know what, though? You're, you've got this weird thing going on lately. You left, left like a five-minute rant a couple of Bone Bat shows ago about the new Pacific Rim trailer. And yeah. I saw it, and I'm like, eh, it looks kind of cool. It looked like yeah, a piece of shit. Really you said low it standards. Was like a total piece of shit. And Absolutely, it totally wasn't. yeah. You were off base by like, I don't know, forty-five degrees on that. It doesn't look like it's the <laughs> best movie ever, but it, it, I'm sure you could feasibly get drunk and/or high and enjoy yourself for two hours and watch that film. Okay, so just stop right there. You have no idea what I'm about to say. This isn't in the show notes. Okay. You just said I was off by 45 degrees. Yes. Do you know what pisses me off, Steve? What's that? I had one two-by-four left this evening to make a frame around <laughs> this thing that I'm making, and I moved the miter box angle over to 45 degrees. Right, It says 45 right in the end. I moved it right over. Vip, vip. Made my cuts. Measured twice. Cut everything right it didn't fit because i actually moved it to 47 degrees <laughs> it was my last fucking two by four so now you got to go to home depot there goes two hours of your life oh my god you walk into one of those do you have a wood that's not shaped like a pretzel no no the shape the, the state of lumber in this country is disgraceful not as disgraceful as me not being able to read 45 degrees on the miter box, though. God damn. And while that's going on, the smoke alarms start going off in my house. I come out of the garage to a smoke-filled house and the whole house fan on 
once again, because we're doing a podcast and we have to turn on the whole house fan before a podcast every time. Why? Because somebody in my family, and I'm not going to mention any names, but I married her. Somebody in my family microwaved popcorn to the point where the bag caught on fire in the microwave. <laughs> you know, microwaves have timers. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> but she likes her popcorn a little extra done. But And it's all actually my fault because I did the, the classic, Hey, honey, look at the dumb, stupid shit I just did in the garage. And I was showing her my failure uh, with my wood. As when usual. she was supposed to be watching the, her popcorn, yeah, I, waiting I for that, like five her. seconds between pops. That sweet spot. The sweet, yeah, the sweet spot. Look for, I, saw, yeah. I pulled her away from that and nearly caused the death of my entire family and the loss of my home by fire. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't even know I, when I you said no that idea. old 45 degree th- trigger just, warning next time, Steve. set you off. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And I'll, I'll have you know that I've been looking forward to The Shape of Water more than I've been looking forward to the Star Wars movie and yeah, the nearest place is playing to me an hour away if there's no traffic. Yeah, two words, motherfuckers. Wide release. Do it. God damn. Just put it in all the theaters. Why? Do you think the people want to watch Coco in week five more? Come on. Pull your head out of your no. ass. No, they do not. Especially with all the advertising that went on for that. You couldn't swing a dead cat without seeing an ad for The Shape of Water. You think that after spending the money doing that... They'd stick it in theaters where people could see it. Exactly, yeah. Not just in New York the first 10 days or whatever it was. <laughs> the first 10 minutes, yeah. And by all accounts, it's supposed to be like, like a good movie, too. It's not yeah, like no. a, a crap movie, and it's I got guess. Doug Jones in it. Uh, right. Let, let me just say, Bone Bat Film Festival veteran Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. Huh? Friend, uh, of the, friend of the show, Doug Jones, in this right. movie. Nicest guy in the universe, and he has a hit movie that he's a star of right now. That's so great. And yet I can't see that film. Cannot and you have it. a film festival. You're you're like a big swinging dick in the movie world, and you can't even see this movie. That's right. I cannot. And that pisses me off. Pisses me off, too. God. It's you know, the season. You know it make me what? feel a little better? A little rub and tug? <laughs> no, a tune. Oh, go ahead. Let's listen to uh, one from BR549's first album. This is actually my wife's favorite tune off that release. It's called Little Ramona. Remember when we hung in the low places in 1979? We used to think that it mattered to the man with the money where we spend our time. Oh, well, I knew a little guy chain around her neck oh, but you never recognize her if you saw her now she does something that you never expect she done traded in the docks for kicker boots safety pin t-shirts for man wear suits her hair's grown out and it's piled up high she only shows the tattoos one at a time she ain't ashamed of the way she was she hears old things she can't get enough her punk rock records are gathering dust Little Ramona's gonna hear Billy Nuts. Crashing, dancing, still out there. The body. 
Once again, that was BR549 with Little Ramona's Gone Hillbilly Nuts from their eponymous studio debut from 1996. And joining us now on the show, none other than Smiling Jay McDowell, bassist and founding member of BR549. How you doing, man? Great. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. It's so exciting to have a chance to speak with you. Well, thanks for having me on. That's a great honor. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know about that, but I do appreciate you being here. You know, it's funny because I'm kind of a metalhead by trade, but my dad is a big country music fan. And so I grew up hearing tons of Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash and Roy Clark and stuff like that. So when I first heard you guys, I heard a tune on uh, the Swingin' Doors radio show on KEXP up here in Seattle and just loved the kind of hard twang, the great sense of humor. So uh, I immediately became a fan. So this is a great uh, you know, chance for me to be able to speak with you about your music. Very cool. Oh, well, thanks. Well, KEXP was great to us, and we always had a good time with them up there. And, uh, you know, every time we got up there, and, and it was really evident that they reached, you know, a really wide range of musical tastes. Uh, of their listeners and and uh, and we could we could kind of slide in with that because in our minds we were just doing real old school country and uh, when these punk rock kids started showing up and these <laughs> rock and roll kids and you know and with their parents and uh, you know just it it really it really lent itself to to helping us uh, spread the word because like just exactly what you just said stuff that you weren't necessarily digging on. If you're listening to harder music, something like us comes along and, and 
uh, I guess it was familiar because of what your dad had listened to, but hopefully you could kind of feel like it was your own as well. But you know, that, Abs- that was kind yeah. of where where we felt like we had a, a strength. Absolutely, yeah. It, it brought it its own thing. It was a little little more modern, a little more bite to it, and just loved it. So, so why don't you tell me a little bit about your origin story? How did you, Chuck, and Gary find each other to form BR549? <laughs> Well, um, I was hanging out in a bar drinking, and <laughs> like they, you do. like you do, yeah. No, I, I, we all came to Nashville separately because of what we wanted Nashville to be in our minds, Me- meaning that when we got here, we were all kind of disillusioned because we felt like this is where this old type of music thrives. And when we arrived, it wasn't. It wasn't happening. It was singer-songwriters trying to get publishing deals and... Uh, seemed like they, everybody was just kind of jockeying for to try to get that next big country hit, mm-hmm. uh, and so we all kind of just ended up in this little uh, dive bar downtown, uh, just kind of commiserating, like you know, like I, I thought Nashville would be so much more than it is, and we got here, and so we were all coming from the same place, um, in that we we wished there was something going on. You know, we just had in our minds that it, it would be, that it would be happening like that, and it wasn't. And so we just kind of got together and started playing music and playing the music that we loved. Um, now, the the Chuck and Gary had gotten together before I came along. They they had been playing for a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I met Chuck um, just right about the time that he had met Gary, but. Uh, all that to say, they, they kind of had it going, and then they had an electric bass player for, for a short time, and I was, like I said, I was just drinking, and uh, <laughs> I played I played music, but you know, I, I was really into what they were doing, and, and I was telling them, you need an upright bass player, and they said, yeah, do you know anybody? And I, I said, me, and <laughs> do I? Uh, so I just jumped in, yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I just, like most of the... Uh, big uh, important events in my life it came for me just kind of jumping in and saying sure i can do that even though if i didn't know if i could but yeah it worked out fantastic so how did you get involved with roberts how did the relationship there form uh well like i said typically everybody playing down on the street there were songwriters it was like single acts guys with a guitar girls with a guitar um there were very few like bands there and Robert himself, Robert Moore, wanted to have a, ba- a band to kind of set set his club apart from all the other places. And so his thinking was uh, at nighttime, he, he would have the, the singer-songwriters in the daytime, but at night he wanted a band. So mm-hmm. uh, those guys started playing Wednesday through Saturday, and um, like 9 to 2, that was the thing. And it, the whole thing, we, we didn't take breaks, but it, it wasn't because we were trying to prove anything it was because if you take a break people leave and go to the club next door so sure um it, it was just a matter of keeping people in the in the club so we just we just never stopped and then and then that became we, we kind of became known for that so it, then then it was like well we, we can't take a break we gotta <laughs> we gotta keep keep it up so were um, you essentially but, the house band at roberts then or were there a number of bands that would rotate in and out well, Wednesday through Saturday, it was us every night. Wow. that's So, and, yeah. and you're playing how many hours a night? Nine to two. And then if it was really happening and swinging, we'd go to 245 or 
250. So this is yeah, kind of like the Beatles in Germany. I mean, you were playing a lot of music and really getting your chops tight. No wonder on those early releases you guys sound so great. Well, thank you, but uh, we put in hours. We did. Yeah. We worked hard. So, so we would we'd sleep in until about noon. Then we'd meet up at one of the guys' houses and go over new stuff and play for a couple hours. Then we'd uh, go our own ways and get dinner. Then we'd head down to the street and play all night. And I mean, it was just it was just constant, constant playing. So uh, it was it was a really good education. We were just on stage constantly, which. Uh, let alone the music chops. I mean, that was that was a, a benefit, but it allowed us to handle crowds. Like, we, we had that under our belt. So when we took off and went on the road and found ourselves in different situations every night, we knew how to handle ourselves and how to how to handle hecklers and how to you know work for tips and how to you know play the crowd and, and everything. So that that really that was the benefit of the, of all those hours for sure. That's fantastic. So I read something about you. Is it true that you guys didn't use a set list, that you would just call out songs and play whatever you felt like playing? That's true, yeah. Yeah, there was never, uh, it was never the same twice. It was never the same show. Now, as, as we were playing at Roberts, and, and uh, you know, there were a few songs, like Me and Opie and Little Ramona probably got played just about every night. You know, there were yeah. songs that were so you had some certainly requested requested heavily and, and you know we'd, we'd definitely play but what was really fun was the people that would come in and, and uh stump us is the wrong word they weren't really trying to stump us they were challenging us to you know hey you know do you know i feel good by james brown well sure we can fake that you know if you put a 20 in the tip jar okay so some of the some of the funnest things were those kind of oddball and of course the crowd loved it you know if, sure yeah now well, yeah you totally would it's not it's not a super big stretch but like you know I, I can remember, you know, getting a pretty good tip and, and doing, I saw her standing there by the Beatles or, or some Eagles song or something just out of the norm that wasn't what we would do. Now, again, it's not like I saw her standing there is, is a million miles away from what we were doing. It's, right. you know, it's, it still kind of fits in. But as far as doing a traditional country thing, it, you know, that wasn't a song we would do often. It would be a, a one-time thing. But the, the, all that to say that every night was different and, and the, the people, the regulars that came to the club, appreciated that because it wasn't the same old show we didn't do the same jokes we didn't do the same shtick it was always fresh and and it was challenging for us coming up with new ways to to work the crowd for tips and you know it's so you're not yeah, doing the sure. same old spiel every time <laughs> and uh, and chuck that was chuck's strength he was he was great at doing that and, and kind of like making it part of the show to where you're kind of you know smiling people out of their $20, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm totally in awe because I am a member of a covers band, and we have to practice mm -hmm. like six months to be able to play a set. And so <laughs> I was like doing the math. Okay, so Live at Roberts is 10 songs, and uh, More from Roberts is 23 tunes. You got 17 on volume two, so that's like 50 right. songs for that one release. How many songs did you have in your arsenal at any one time, do you think? If you were to ask me. Oh, yeah, 1,200, 1,500. Yeah, I mean, just tons. Now, That's the, fantastic. The, I love it. The heavy weight was on the singers to memorize the lyrics. Yeah, because, sure, right. Uh, you know, like that that was where it was at. Now, we got to, like, again, like you talked about earlier, we spent so much time on stage. I could follow Chuck's shoulder, and he could, he could signal me what the song was going to do. So if it was a song that I didn't know on the bass, 
we could fake it and I could play it. And if they, as long as they, you know, as long as one of us knew it. Now, if it was a, a another song where, since we were all coming from slightly different uh, journeys, you know, I was into the rockabilly stuff. Chuck was more into punk rock. Gary was into gospel. Donnie was into Western swing and, and um, fiddle tunes and, you know, square dance and stuff, you know, like we're all coming to what we did from those different roads but where that all overlapped was that was the magic that was where it was that was where it was at but it it was neat because it turned me on you know gary would would turn me on to some gospel quartet and that wasn't my strong suit i didn't know gospel music then but but of course there's great gospel music and i got turned on to some of the best and i would do the same i you know i'd say well you know you got to check out carl perkins and and you know this rockabilly stuff that i grew up on and little richard and you got to hear this stuff that was exciting for us to to kind of get turned on to to different uh you know just kind of different shades of the same palette you know what i mean sure and then that you have all those influences kind of boiling together in the band to make that original sound or those original tunes that you would eventually write that's really awesome Right, and and we always, you know, make that analogy of like, like Hank Williams Sr. was coming from a pretty dark place, and uh, although to to somebody who's not really into the music, they would hear his music and think, well, that's nothing like the Clash. But as you as you dig into it deeper, you start realizing some of the the heart of it is coming from the exact same place, and you know, although on the surface it's completely different styles of music. It's kind of like the meat on the bone is the same, and and uh, you know, like Hank Senior was kind of a punk rocker, if if that makes any sense. <laughs> At the time, yeah, absolutely. For his time, he was yes. you know he was pushing those boundaries and ruffling people's feathers and, and that, you know <laughs> that kind of thing. So, so where where we felt like we were, we had the benefit of, of all these years later of, of of you know saying like we love Buck Owens and we love Jimmy Rogers. And we love the Clash, and we love the Beatles, and we love George Strait, and you know, just kind of mixing it all together. And and there's elements of all that in what we did. Wow, cool. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about your early releases? So I'm just studying for the show. I didn't realize that uh, Live at Roberts came out before BR Five Four Nine, your studio debut, which is kind of interesting. Right. You know, most most bands do it the other way around. They do a live thing yeah. after releasing the studio album that gives them the songs to kind of tour. You're coming from a completely different place with being at Roberts and having all these tunes drawn. Right. Right. We yeah. And and one thing that was a benefit for us was we were self-sufficient, meaning that we were playing for tips and, and making a living, you know, a lot of bands get started and, and they record a record and to, to be able to go out on the road and promote it, they've, they've got to, yeah, they got to rehearse, they got to get their stuff together. And, and it's, it's like it, you know, just the cost of living it, uh, you know, they have to borrow a bunch of money from the record label just to, you know, just to live and to get going. And we were in the unique luxury place of, we didn't need an advance from the record label for just living. We had one for a recording budget. We recorded the studio album first, and then the record label looked at it like, how do we market this? It's not, you know, in my mind, we were just playing, we were just a country band, and, and that was, it was completely simple to me. Mm-hmm. But the people that were trying, the bean counters were looking at it like, yeah, but, you, you know, they saw it like you could you could appeal to all this different wide swath of people and and you know there's the college radio and the 
alternative rock stations that you know that ultimately did pick up some of our songs and play and and so from city to city we weren't sure exactly where the strength of the crowd was going to be was it going to be the mainstream country station was it going to be the college underground station was it going to be the kind of the aor rock station so that made it really exciting but uh the live at roberts thing kind of was like well let's kind of put them out there as what exactly what they are that they play to every type you know they're playing to college kids they're playing to truck drivers they're playing to tourists they're playing to, to everybody in this little club and so the ep thing came out first and it's i don't know it's five or six songs and it's really short but we recorded yeah a, a few nights so yeah there was a, a bunch of stuff in the can and uh and that's why those those other volumes came out later which are you know full length two mm -hmm. like two full length records um but uh there's just so many good memories when i hear those songs back and hear the you know the <laughs> the the talking in between the songs and stuff it just takes me right back to there and it uh i'm so glad that those recordings exist because uh that was that was really a, an amazing time in my life and and so good for uh you know just the memories of that time but to, to kind of reel this whole long answer back in uh it was ironic that we played at Roberts every night for a couple of years. And then as soon as we put out the album, the EP live from Roberts, we left Roberts to go promote it and go, you know, all over the country. So it was just ironic that <laughs> this live recording comes out and that's exactly when we left and we weren't the house band at Roberts anymore, but uh, you know, we got to travel and, and go all over the world and, and play and, and the people overseas just ate it up and, um, I thought that would be our downfall because who, you know, nobody's ever heard of Hee Haw in in Europe and Japan, and <laughs> they're not going to know what BR five four nine stands for, and you know, that, like, there's no way that it's going to translate. They are so into American culture yeah. around the world that they were intrigued because they didn't know. Well, what is this show called Hee Haw, and what is this skit? junior samples skit and so <laughs> they would always you know they would they would show those clips and of course we were talking about hee-haw it can be a punchline people talk about oh i grew up watching hee-haw and they're on their overalls and being silly but before mtv and before the internet that's where we were exposed to music every week that's where you could see merle haggard on tv yep, you could see absolutely. george jones and you could see johnny paycheck and and so as kids that's where we were you know we were like oh no like of course there you know there's uh, you know, girls in bikinis, and and it's you know you can make fun of hee haw for sure, but musically it was important to us, and sure. that was that was why it made sense for us to you know call ourselves BR five four nine. So it worked out overseas. People they they ate it up. Yeah, and in being syndicated, hee haw was on all the time. So almost right. by osmosis, <laughs> you you saw it often. You know, every Saturday you'd turn it on, you'd be flipping around, you'd watch 15 minutes of it before watching Wide World of Sports or whatever. But it, yeah, there, yeah. Was, there was exactly. plenty of opportunity to kind of ingest that great music that was around. And you're absolutely right, right. about Europe. A couple of other bands that we're friends with or have had featured on the show, the Nickel Slots and the Pine Box Boys, regularly get to yeah. go over to Europe, and they love them over there. They love kind of roots music overall and they have a great turnout every time they show up yeah yeah we were we were blown away at how uh what a great reception we got and, and that was always a uh regular stop for us we you know we were just constantly traveling in the 90s and and put in so many miles but 
still, you know, made great friendships out of that and, and people that now visit Nashville and, and come over here. And, and it's just amazing because we're all just music fans, really, when it comes down to it. And now with the Internet, we can all stay in touch, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. I didn't see that coming, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, which is how this interview happened, as a matter of fact. Right. Right. <laughs> all right. So over those years, you kind of went back and forth. uh Let's see, BR549 came out in 1996, Big Backyard Beat Show 98, which uh, has the tune we opened the show with, I believe, uh, 18 Wheels and a Crowbar. Ah, uh, nice. And uh, then you followed that up right away with Coast to Coast, another live album, but made up of mostly cuts that hadn't appeared on any of your previous albums. Right, and and that was, uh, I mean, there's crowd noise on it, but it, it's... When I listen to them, they're all live albums to me. <laughs> oh, okay. But, so you always you but, always played in a room together, all five of you. You didn't do overdubs oh, yeah. and have oh, one yeah. of you playing at a time and putting the pieces together. Uh, the the bones of it were that we were all in a room together playing. Okay. Now Donnie, who played all these different instruments, he would go back and add. He he would go back and and overdub stuff. So he mm-hmm. he would kind of sweeten up things and, and add to it, but. But just for the for the core of the band, no, it was it was live cuts. For the listeners, you're referring to Donnie Heron, who played what lap steel and fiddle and what else did he play? Anything with the string, right? We we don't have time to listen. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, cello, banjo, uh, trumpet. So the the funny thing is, he plays with Bob Dylan now full time. He's he's just in Bob's band. And, wow, and okay, it's great. Now, when you go see Bob Dylan, Donnie typically is playing pedal steel, mm-hmm. but he plays regular guitar and he plays mandolin and you know like throughout the show he'll pick up other instruments here and there but when we were traveling on the road um he got a trumpet and now you're you're living in a bus and it's close quarters and donnie was always picking up oddball instruments on the road which was you know it was fascinating it was great you know i would go to record stores and, and buy old records he would go to music shops and come back with crazy instruments you know hey jay this is a psaltery uh you know, this weird stringed instrument from Eastern Europe. And, and hey, Jay, you know, I got an accordion, you know. And, and so I'm trying to sleep, and he's blowing a trumpet, right? And <laughs> uh, so we were always laughing about him always, you know, collecting these oddball instruments. Well, a few years ago, Bob Dylan record came out. And, of course, Donnie's all over the recordings. He's on every everything Dylan records now. And sure enough, he played trumpet on a Dylan album. And so <laughs> he had the last laugh, I always I called him right away when I saw that. I was like, "You got a trumpet on an album, and it's a Bob Dylan album, no less." So that was that was really funny. But uh, coast to coast, we recorded. We did a whole tour with the Brian Setzer Orchestra in 1999, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he was just riding high, jump driving whale. It happened, and the whole swing thing was going crazy. And we did. We went all over the country with them, and it was just amazing. And so that was kind of a case where we needed to make a new album. But that tour came up and it was too good to pass up. We couldn't not do it. So we just said, well, what if we just recorded the shows and put out a record that was, you know, new material, but, but you know, and there, there might be one or two songs on there that were duplicates. But for the most part, it was, you know, kind of us doing, doing a, a new album and just recording it on the road. And, and I was really happy with it. Fantastic. Well, you know what? We've been talking a minute. Why don't we play a tune sure. out off of Coast to Coast? This one goes out to anybody who's trying to get home for Christmas. This is called Six Days on the Road. Welcome to the Super Hillbilly Beat Show. We're glad you're here. All right. Well, I pulled out of Pittsburgh, rolling down an East Seaboard. 
got my diesel wound up and she's a running like never before. There's a speed zone ahead, all right. I don't see a cop in sight. Six days on the road, now I'm gonna make it home tonight. I got me ten forward gears and a Georgia overdrive. I'm taking little white pills and my eyes are open wide. I just passed a Jimmy in white. I've been passing everything inside. Six days on the road, now I'm gonna make it home tonight. Let's go. Again, that was Six Days on the Road from 2000's Coast to Coast by BR549. And the original lineup of Chuck Mead on vocals and electric guitar, Gary Bennett on acoustic guitar and vocals, Don Heron on pedal steel, fiddle, etc., Hawk Shaw Wilson on drums, and of course, Smiling Jay McDowell on bass. Still with us is Jay McDowell. Uh, so, after that, things changed a little bit for you guys with the release of This Is BR549. Why'd you lose the hyphen? Well, uh, with the advent of the internet, it's funny. We didn't think about that one bit when we named the band. <laughs> right, and, why would you? It wasn't a thing, yeah, right? And then, really? 
Yeah, and, and then exactly, and then that became such a part of it, and and there was all this confusion about, you know, people weren't putting in the dash, and they were putting in the dash, they're putting in the dash in the wrong spot, and it became a thing, and so we started looking at the stats, and it was like more people were just typing it in without the dash than with the dash, so we went with that. It was, it was just funny, but um, what happened was Arista and Clive Davis had an impasse, and he was the, the president of the record label, mm-hmm. and Arista, the record label kind of felt like uh, they weren't going to renew his contract, and that you know they were kind of retiring him, and they made the mistake of announcing that like nine months before his contract was up. And he, he said, no, I'm not going to step aside. I'm going to, I'm going to lock down the, the label. And so nothing could be done and we couldn't get out of our contract. We were just kind of obligated in this contract where they wouldn't, they wouldn't do anything. And it was, it was just a, a nightmare to, to be involved with. So when we finally got that resolved, and it was about nine months where we just didn't know what was going to happen. Then we finally got clear and we signed the Sony records and we went with them. And that was, that was that record. This is BR549. And we worked with Paul Worley, who was a great friend of ours and great producer. And it was a little more, uh, I don't know, we'd, we'd been on the road for three or four years and, and, you know, the newness had worn off. Not that it wasn't fun. It was just, it was, it was more like, okay, we'll go in the studio and just make a traditional country record and let's let's just make it as good as we can and so that was that was a great time with with paul we didn't have the success of the earlier records but i'm still really proud of the records following that next tour uh you and gary would leave the band so why why did right? that happen well 9-11 happened and yeah. we were in annapolis maryland we were wow. supposed to play the ram's head that night and we were less than a mile from the pentagon and everything that day needless to say it was completely scary there was a there was a policeman and an army man standing right in front of me arguing with each other about who was in charge but it's the opposite of what you think they were they wanted the other guy to be in charge and when i saw that you know i saw the fear in their eyes and i'm saying well somebody needs to be in charge because it isn't me that's no joke absolutely so that day, it was kind of like, I need to have a family and be home. And so uh, that decision kind of happened on that day. Now, we still had a year and a half of commitments that, mm-hmm. that we were signed up for. So I, I agreed to, to do those. And so I, I told the guys in the band, uh, a couple weeks after that, I told them that you know I need to get out. And uh, But it was all friendly. And, mm-hmm. and Gary Gary saw that as a jumping off point. He was he was having reservations himself and just too many miles and it was just too taxing on us. And, uh, well, and he had so his he, own songwriting he, aspirations as well, right? Right, right. And so, yeah, it was a good stepping off point. And, um, so when, but like I said, everybody around us wanted there to be some scandalous story <laughs> and, and it wasn't, we were, we were best of friends and, we all got along great and there wasn't any hard feelings. And, and, uh, now as they continued on, I made a transition. I, I just started working for Sony and, and doing music video stuff and, and just really found my way and, and was really content and, and happy. And, and I have friends who have been in bands and, and moved on and not been so lucky and not had a, a good past. So I was really, really lucky to, to land on my feet and, and be so content. And, and, and I had three kids and, and you know, it was just really, 
really happy and in a good place. So I, I was really, really lucky to make that transition. And, um, but like I said, they, they kept going and, and they got uh, Chris Scruggs and Jeff Fireball and uh, the, the temporarily disconnected EP, they, they did that just to kind of have something to sell on the road until they got their, their feet under them and, and then got with Dual Tone. Mm-hmm. And uh, made some great records, which I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of those records as well. And I actually directed their music video that they did for Dual Tone, so I was a big part of that uh, next album that came out, the Tangled in the Pines. Tangled in the Pines. Well, it's That's funny, the one, yeah. Yeah, you funny. You should mention that because yeah, the the song that I heard on KEXP that night in 2004 was That's What I Get. And that made me go yeah, back and buy. Yeah, that made me go back and buy all of your previous stuff. Nice. And that's the tune that started me off as being a fan of BR five four nine. So oh great, great <laughs> yeah. Chris and Jeff, you know, I'm good friends with, and and you know, there there was no hard feelings. And like I said, people want there to be scandal, and mm-hmm. and you know, they want to hear the dirt and everything. And I'm like, sorry, it's all friendly and good. <laughs> <laughs> now speaking of transitions, additionally, you mentioned that you're curator at the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum in Nashville. That sounds like the coolest job ever. It's my dream job. It's amazing. Yeah, it came from because I was doing music video work with Sony and I worked with, uh, oh, you know, it, it's mainstream country music videos. It's the formulaic, you know, the girl in the bikini and a pickup truck and a dog. And that was kind of the world I was in. And, and I loved the process. But after a while, it's like you're kind of cranking out the same thing over and over again. Right. And um, so this museum was starting up and um Joe Chambers was the founder, and he's a, a big hit songwriter here in Nashville, and he needed uh, video work done for this new museum and so for the exhibits, right? So I got hired to do that, and I just fell in love with the concept of it, and I just started showing up every day and <laughs> weaseled my way into a job, kind of like <laughs> I did with the bass, the bass player of BR549. I just kind of showed up and said, yeah, I'm the guy. I can do this. And yeah, I'm still there. It's been 10 years now, and we're... Uh, I mean, we've just got this amazing collection of instruments that uh, kind of represents all styles of music. It's here in Nashville, but it, we've got instruments from the Funk Brothers and Motown. We've got a, a huge collection of Wrecking Crew instruments, the L.A. guys. We've got a Jimi Hendrix, you know, speaking of Washington State, we've got yes. a, a Hendrix guitar and Mitch Mitchell's drums from the Jimi Hendrix experience. Nice. Stuff from Philly, stuff from New York. Uh, we got the Stax drums. we got... Well, obviously stuff from Nashville and the A-Team. We include country music, but it's it's all types of music. We, we've got you know stuff from soul to rock to the uh, Black Keys. And then the Grammy Gallery is all interactive. You can play drums with Ringo. You can rap with Nelly. You can <laughs> sing with Ray Charles. You can mix and DJ. And it's, yeah, it's an amazing, amazing space. And I get to go and hang out there all day, every day. And it's just perfect for me. Oh, that is fantastic. Yeah, I got to get out and check that, that out, like a, man. Yeah, I haven't. Did that sound I, like an advertisement or what? That sounds great. Yeah, no, I, I haven't been to Nashville <laughs> in a while. I haven't visited uh, Ernest Tug's record shop in too long, so I'm gonna have to get ah. out there at some point and see your museum, man. Yeah, please do. Yes, <laughs> for sure, and definitely go to Ernest Tubbs. Yes. So in 2012, you had an opportunity to kind of get the original lineup of BR549 together for a show. How did that come together? Yeah, um, Old Crow Medicine Show. Uh, was doing a show in Nashville, and they, I guess there wasn't an opening act scheduled because it wasn't advertised as anybody. And then um, just like right before the show, they just said, would you guys play? And it all worked out. Donnie 
it worked out with Dylan's schedule that he could play, and uh, we all just got together and did it. And it had been, you know, 10 years or 11 years since we'd played, and, you know, I, I remember kind of wondering how it would go, but, I mean, just, of course, we got together the night before and ran through some tunes, and it just came right back, and it was just it was a blast, and, and it was great fun. And so um, we had a, a really good time doing that, and the Old Crow guys were, were great. They used to be playing on the street when we'd be playing. Now, I guess not when we were playing at Roberts regularly, but, you know, when when we would be back in Nashville and, and playing the Opry, they'd be out busking and, and, you know, hustling people on the street. And so, we, you know, we, we could, they were kindred spirits. We could sure, see exactly yeah. where they were coming from. And, uh, so, I mean, it was really, really flattering that they, they asked us to, to play. And, and they, that was kind of the spark that it took. Uh, it took somebody to, to do that to, to get us all off our butts and to play and yeah it was it was just great and you guys still do an occasional show together right yeah yeah we played we did our 20th anniversary at the country music hall of fame i guess about a year and a half ago that was a really good time and and uh i always say that you know people are talking about you guys are broken up and i said well <laughs> not if the price is right <laughs> right sure would you ever see a situation where you guys would get together and do another album I'd love to. I would love to do that. I that would be a lot of fun. Now, I don't see the situation where we would go on the road to promote it. But right, because everybody's got their own I'd gigs, their record. own jobs. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, and and that's one thing. Like I, I'm flattered when people reach out to me and say, "Hey, would you play bass on this project?" And you know, for some new band or some new singer, and uh, it's flattering. But it's like, no, I can't. You know, I can't go on the road. And you know, I mm-hmm. it's a I. I I just don't have it in me to, to physically do it. And B, I've got a dream job that I can't be away from. So Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's nice to be asked, but I really have no desire to, to go out and promote anything and, and do all that. So, Well, there may not be new stuff on the horizon, but there's absolutely great old stuff. Tell our listeners a little bit about the reissues that you've got going on. Now, I just picked up the Steve oh, Albini sure. sessions and more from Roberts, but you've got a whole lunchbox full of yeah. <laughs> live recordings and alternate takes from BR549 over the years that you are selling. Would right. make a great Christmas gift right now. How's that an ad for you? That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I'll tell you what. That 2012 show really kind of sparked that. We, we were playing uh, that thing with the Old Crow and we recorded so much stuff the band was just constantly recording we were recording on the road we were recording at sound checks we'd make recordings you know there's so many things in the studio we would do and it was always a case of like we had our own songs and our originals so we were always recording oldies thinking well what you know which oldies you know we'd do so many hank williams senior songs and we'd record them in the studio and think okay well we're not going to put two hank senior songs in this record but let's pick one of these you know so we, we had a ton of things recorded uh, so there's so much stuff, and and I mean there's there's still so many recordings. The, the, that'll be a just a steady stream for years coming out. And uh, now it's funny because you know certain people eat that up and and they want to hear it and they 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 love it. Uh, uh, I know it infuriates some people. They're you know they're like, well, why don't you record new music? You know we yeah. you know enough of this stuff from the '90s, right? But uh, but I enjoy uh, reliving it and hearing stuff because. Like I said, we recorded so much. I mean, there's there's constantly songs that come up that I'll I'll come across in the archive, and 
I'll listen to it and think, well, I don't remember this song. That's not me. And then, and then I hear my voice at the end <laughs> talking or so, you know, like, Oh, Oh, there we are. Yeah. Oh, so, that was um, so, funny. It's, so like I said, I, I went through and I just, I just kind of put together a batch of songs and for that 2012 show and just, you know, just sold it through the website. And then, uh, about every six months, there's been a new one. I, I don't know. There's 11 or 12 releases now, and so yeah, it's it's uh it's fun to relive uh, you know live stuff and studio stuff and radio shows and and uh, interview things. And there's a there's one that's all BBC stuff. So all of our trips over to England, uh, you know, different appearances that we made, both playing live and being interviewed, and and just you know, it's just more silliness, but. Uh, <laughs> But I'm really proud of the music. Like I said, we we could go into a, a radio station and get around one mic and and nail it. And that's one thing I'm really proud of when I hear those old recordings that we were good at adapting to our surroundings. Whether it was a arena opening up for a big act or a little honky tonk or a tiny little radio station on a college campus, we could do our thing, and it came across. Oh, that is so good. There was a lot of great music there. So where can our listeners find that stuff, Jay? Well, it's the Facebook page for BR549. Um, there's a lot of great clips on that. Uh, you know, there's always people posting things, and, and there's, you know, there's a store, a button you can get those CDs on. But they, they're not like in stores or, or anywhere. There's uh, a few of them you can download, but, but for the most part, they're just on CD um, that you buy, you know, old-fashioned through the mail. That's Just great. like Ernest Tubbs. Yeah, but that's great news for us because we're about supporting independent musicians, and this way the money goes to you and not to some record company. So we're always happy <laughs> right. when that happens. Amen. <laughs> all right, man. Well, last question we always ask all of our guests here on the Bone Bat Show. Jay, what pisses you off, man? <laughs> well, I'm a pretty happy guy, I will say that. So, um uh, I don't have much to complain about, really, and, and uh, yeah, wow, that's a that's a good one. Um, I guess auto tune <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Anything that allows a musician not to have to play his instrument, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, um, yeah. And again, that's such a broad thing. Like, just sure. you know, there's there's times when. I'm sure I'm not even aware that it's happening and it's not bothering me at all, but <laughs> yeah, that, that gets under my skin sometimes. But again, uh, I'll, I'll never put somebody down for the kind of music they listen to because uh, that's what makes the world go around that we can all listen to different stuff. If we all like the same thing, what a boring place it would be. Truer words were never said, sir. Well, thank you again so much for letting me ask you all these nerdy music questions on the show for this long. <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me and to share your amazing music with our listeners. This has been a real thrill. Thanks, man. Well, thanks, Steve. I sure do appreciate it, and good luck with everything, and let me know when you come into Nashville. Absolutely. Why don't you introduce this next song, Jay? Oh, well, we got uh, One Long Saturday Night, and this was the story of our lives down at Roberts. It encapsulates everything that we were about whether it was Tuesday morning or Thursday night or Saturday night, it was a, just a one big party and everybody had a blast. And when I hear this song, it just takes me right back to just pretty much living on the street and hustling people for a dime. Down in the valley of the fever, in the heat of 
Mylon J. McDowell, and you're listening to the Bone Bat Show. Once again, that was one long Saturday night from the debut album, BR549. I hope you dug that, as well as our conversation with Jay McDowell. That was a total blast. Thanks again to Jay for uh, spending some time with us. Uh, Once again, you can purchase music direct from BR549 from their Facebook page. So you will find a link to that on the Bone Bat site. Uh, Please visit it early and often and buy yourself some good music. So, dude, you got any weird stuff this week? You know, I, I do, Steve. I was perusing the science news because science interests me. And I, uh, I came across, well, I should say, I encountered an article about these, uh, these monkeys and, uh, and pygmy deer in Japan. And I'm not going to read the whole article because it's rather long and involved, but the headline really sets the tone. Scientists in Japan who are studying these monkeys that like to hang out with the deer discovered that they don't just hang out together. The monkeys are actually having sex with the deer. And this wasn't just like a one a one off thing, and it's not going down, so to speak, like you might think. It's the female monkeys that are getting off on the deer. The monkeys regularly hop on the deer's back, and they ride them, grinding on their spine to one assumes completion. And the deer like it. They they the female monkeys seek out male deer, and the male deer. Hang around for it. Female deer, they want they wander off. They want nothing to do with it. Male deer are freaks, and female monkeys in Japan also freaks. They're getting it on together. One more reason, Steve, and I think I brought this up on many shows. One more reason why we need to completely eliminate monkeys from this planet. We need to drive all <laughs> monkeys to extinction. They're getting weapons. They're communicating. They're ganging up against us. They're attacking people, and now they're fucking deer. That is the, where do we draw the line? That is a crazy story. I wonder are, that, are there any other instances of like monkeys and deer from any other country, or is this how, very specific to this one kind of monkey and these one kind of deer? I imagine there's not a lot of places where you've got pygmy deer and monkeys living in the same place. That is so bizarre. Different kinds of monkeys sometimes get it on together, and you know. Dogs will try to get anything that they can because they're dogs. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Monkeys and deer. Monkeys are almost as deviant as humans. Well, they're primates, you know, just like humans. That's true. So look it up. There's a great big long article. You can read it in all of its scientific glory all over the Internet. And it's like on NPR. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I would have loved to listen to that. site, right? (laughs) It's not like on Deer Hub. (laughs) I don't know. Is there a deer hub? <laughs> Is there know. a monkey hub? Yo, you brought I, it up. I wouldn't know. Not my It's king. weird that you just happen to know that. <laughs> Is it right next to <laughs> yeah, the... it's, it's so weird that you just happen to make shit up all the time. That's so <laughs> odd. You've only been doing that for... Is it just one tab over from years. the cat form? <laughs> <laughs> hmm, cat thermometer. But what's this monkey deer stuff? Yeah, Click. this show's got... Or, Far too many animals in it. I think we need another tune. <laughs> okay. I would like to apologize to the band right now. You had no idea <laughs> this show was going in this direction. Nobody did. Yet here we are. Let's listen to one from Live at Roberts, 1996. This is 
Me and Opie. Well, it looks like it's 12 midnight, ladies and gentlemen. Is that right? Y'all know what that means. It's time to tell you the true story all about the lost episode of The Andy Griffith Show. It's a particularly heinous story about drug abuse and sexual deviance. Yeah. Looks like it's right up your alley. I guess you can't get away from deviancy on the show. <laughs> Weird, right? 
Once again, me and Opie down by the duck pond from Live at Roberts. You can pick that up at finer music stores everywhere or via the BR549 Facebook page. Hope you enjoy it. So, dude, a little multimedia triage? Yeah, what what little we can. I mean, we've both been right busy these days and not a lot of time to enjoy things uh, beyond the Christmas stuff and getting ready for the film fest. But I read a book uh, as this is going to come as an absolute shock to our audience, but it was a, a book in the Horace Heresy series. This is the, <laughs> I know this is the Praetorian of Dorne by John French. This is a story of one of the more boring legions, the Imperial fists whose whole thing is defense. Woo! We're the defensive legion. Nobody can beat our defenses except for, of course, the motherfucking spy Alpha Legion. Yeah. <laughs> Alpha Legion shows up. Finally, we're 39 books into the series. Finally, Earth gets attacked. Woohoo! About damn time. Uh, so check this book out if you've if you've been stalled out on this series. Maybe you skip the middle 20 books. You want to get back into it. Praetorian of Dorne tells the beginning of the attack on Earth. And of course, they're ready for like a full-on assault by Horus's forces of chaos. Chaos Space Marines trying to batter down their defenses. They didn't count on the sneaky bastards of the Alpha Legion. Those uber spy Space Marines sneaking in from behind, sowing chaos wherever they go. It's a fun book. You should check it out. Cool. Well, that's I, that's I it. Like that's I'm, all I can report on multimedia-wise. I feel like I'm behind. It's like I haven't read the last 27 <laughs> really? Heresy books. So. You used to send them to me. You don't do that anymore. I I became so like covered in Horus Heresy books. I finally built a fort out of them, and I live in it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let's see. Uh, what about you, Steve? What are you doing? You know, TV wise, I've been checking out uh, Marvel's Runaways, which is on Hulu. Have you seen that? I don't Hulu. Is that any good? Hulu has occasional stuff, like uh, Handmaid's Tale was on there. That was why we signed up for it. And, uh, you know, you can watch back episodes of Rick and Morty and stuff like that. So it has a few things. It's not the best, but every once in a while they have kind of a, a flagship show that you definitely want to watch. And uh, Marvel's Runaways is better than The Gifted or Inhumans or, I don't know, maybe definitely season three of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, it is uh, the story. Uh, it, actually, the original writer was Brian K. Vaughn, who you would know maybe from Saga or Why the Last Man or Ex Machina. So, okay, yeah. a guy who does like great sci fi slanted comics. And it's a story of these teenagers who have been friends for a long time because their parents are in a group together. And they come to find out that their parents are actually supervillains. I thought you were going to say swingers. No. Well, even worse, supervillains. So, you know, there's this whole twist of they completely disagree with what their parents are doing, but they're teenagers. They don't have a lot of power. And uh, the way it unwinds is pretty darn good. Uh, and it's kind of they have unique powers, some of them, and it's a, a different twist on superheroes. I mean, they have superpowers, but they don't really have names as far as, like, superhero names. They're just trying to get by. But now they have to band together to sort of fight their parents. So the, I'm about five or six episodes in. I'm caught up, and it's really good. I would recommend checking it out. 
All right. You know, you mentioned Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. Uh, the new season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., actually watching it. They are in space now. What? It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. I'm the first not... episode is one of the most fun episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in a while. It's like they kind of got away from the really dark thing that they've been doing the last couple of years and went, hey, let's let's get wacky again. and uh, Or let's get wacky. And it's wacky. It's wacky fun. Okay. And there's a lot of a lot of I don't want to spoiler alert, but there's a lot of blue guys. Yeah, I'm halfway in the middle of the Ghost Rider thing, which actually I was surprised at how well done it was. Ghost Rider looks great. Yeah, he does. So that's where I'm, where I am in Agents of Shield. Okay, like you're getting twenty awfully caught up. Yeah, I've got twenty five episodes or something before I'll be caught up to you. So I've got a ways to go, but uh, I'm working on it. Good, I'm glad. Uh, since we're kind of talking about country music this show, I wanted to bring up... A I thought we were talking about animal sex. <laughs> well, that too. But uh, I don't know of any animal sex podcasts, so I'm going to talk about a country music podcast. There's <laughs> I'm going to look. A new country music podcast called Cocaine and Rhinestones. Uh, the person who does it is Tyler Mann Coe. He's actually the son of David Allen Coe. This guy uh, became David Allen Coe's guitarist. Like when he was 13 or 14 years old. So by the time he was in his 20s, he had toured the world several times over as a playing musician. And he's kind of estranged from his father now, and they don't talk. But the, his whole life, he has been ensconced in the country music scene, and he's heard all these stories growing up. And so he's taking these historic stories, and he's turning them into a podcast. And the podcast is freaking fantastic. It, every episode kind of features a different thing. So the ones I've listened to so far, there was a full episode about the song by Merle Haggard, Okie from Muskogee. And it talks about how the Okies, uh, you know, people from Oklahoma were forced to California because of the Dust Bowl, like Grapes of Wrath stuff. And yeah. how the music scene in California kind of came together and what it meant to be called an Okie then. And, I mean, it's just really interesting sort of historical stuff. And then there was another episode that is really dark. It was about this guy named uh, Spade Cooley, who was a TV show host, like a variety host, that did country music songs, like, back in the day. And this guy was, like, one of the most popular shows around. Everybody wanted to be on his show. He made people into stars. And the dude murders his wife. Oh, that's not cool. No, it's not at all. It's super fucked up. And it's... It's like just this story, like, you know, what's true? He digs into what's true, what's not true about the history of this thing. He did a story about a Loretta Lynn song called The Pill and the sort of sociological impact of the song that it was essentially a song that she didn't even write. And it was about how she could have fun now having sex because she was on the pill and it got banned from radio. And oh, then you start to look into history, and any time that women sing about, like, sex in a pleasurable way, it gets banned from radio. But in the entire history of, like, modern country music, he can only find a couple instances of any male song being banned from radio. So it's like this crazy double standard about the music that... It, it was just really fascinating. And he does like these footnotes at the end of the episode and it's super well done. So even if you're not that interested in country music, the stories behind every episode of this podcast are fantastic. So I would highly recommend it. It's the best new podcast I've discovered in ages. Really good stuff. Wow. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Cocaine and rhinestones. Check it out. Right on. Uh, the other thing I want to recommend is rye whiskey gourd. 
<laughs> the drink? The drink, yes. You know, I'm kind of a bourbon guy. I like bourbon. I like rum. I don't care for vodka. I think vodka is kind of, why would you bother? Uh, and, with uh, vodka, tasteless is a compliment. Yeah. You'd think you'd and, like something like, like with that. Like scotch, you know, I, I enjoy scotch as well. But a lot of times scotch feels like it's trying too hard to be peaty or this or that or burn your throat or whatever. But I, I've discovered that I have a real affinity for rye whiskey. Uh, it's a little bit sweet. And it has a great note to it, and it tastes good in cocktails like an old-fashioned or something like that. Or even just, you know, with a little splash of water. So uh, recently, uh, we picked up rye from uh, Woodenville Whiskey Company. It was delicious, and even better from Blue Spirits up in Leavenworth, Washington. Uh, their rye whiskey is just awesome. So if you haven't tried rye whiskey and you like whiskey in general, give it a try. It's really good. I'm enjoying it. Huh. Not something I expected on this podcast. We a review cover a lot for of a type here. of alcohol. Amazing. We, we cover a lot of ground here. We are a full service podcast and have been for 10 years. God. Eventually it's going to be, what kind of Metamucil do you like to? Well. <laughs> it may be. If I poop. Maybe sooner than you think. Yeah, I know. No kidding. That's all I've got. Did you have anything else? Uh, no. I'm all pooped out i guess triaged out okay let's listen to another tune this is the uh tune i mentioned back in the interview the very first song i ever heard from br549 one of my faves this is called that's what i get from 2004's tangled in the pines
You know what? That was too much fun. I'm going to play another one. You can't stop Yeah, me. do it, man. Oh, well, a chip would keep you cheap as he dances alone. He does an Indian boogie to a white man's song singing, Hey, ho, Alina. 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 Oh, well, a hey, ho, Alina. Oh, what's tonight? Oh, what he does is keep the dancers up, but they keep up the dancers in the air. We're singing, Hey, ho, Alina. Hey, ho, Alina. Hey, ho, Alina. Hey, ho, Alina. First, we had That's What I Get from Tangled in the Pines, 2004. And following that, the Moon Mulligan song, Cherokee Boogie, as done by BR549, from their first release again, uh, the self-titled debut. I hope you dug that. Uh, Thank you again to BR549 for sharing their music with us. Such good stuff. And uh, it's a treat to play here on the show. So, dude. Yes. Thank yous. Of course, we want to thank uh, BR549. And we also want to thank our Kickstarter backers for supporting the 2018 Comedy of Horrors Film Fest. Are you ready, sir? You know, let me assemble this massive list of names here, and I will be ready. We had 71 people buy tickets or enormous packages or sponsorships this year and it's just a real honor to have so much support from the community it's pretty cool and i don't know what more i can say about it i like the fact that i see a lot of the same names on this list that i've been mispronouncing for years (laughs) so let's get started first off thank you to nick our very first backer this year and sean marier 
And thank you to massive supporter Eric Morgret and DZ. And one of your favorite people, Julie Ray. I'd take a bullet for that woman. And Diana Flett. And how about the Auto Duelist and John Merle Holtz? Another longtime backer, as is Smoke Emotion and Josh Marimore. And could we ever forget backer Preston Patton? I think not. I've written his name on many enormous package over the years. Yes, and another friend of the show, Shannon Flowers, the amazing Shannon Flowers. She is the best. Also, Ivy Mason, thank you. And thank you to Lauren Bachman. And thank you to Kim and Aaron Burke. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you to Sean C. Thomas and Dragon's Roost Press. How cool is that? That's very cool. And thank you to Michael Jelly and Alex Sinclair. And Alex Sinclair again. (laughs) Alex Sinclair is a fantastic friend and uh, one of the most excited people. He's always asking us about the film festival, and it makes me happy to be able to present it for him and his family. Very cool. Uh, thank you very much to Randy Katzen and Sophocles Grafus, who are going to be coming back out from Maryland for this fest. Oh, right on. That's so awesome. Uh, thank you to Kimberly Poole, and thank you to Josh Bliss. Thank you to Corey J. Stewart and Guest. Yes, and Guest with a number after the name. Thank you to Juanita and Doug Thomas. Thank you so much. And to Paul Rucker. Thank you. Thank you to Rich and to Andrew Tam. And thank you, Angela Christensen. And thank you, Bob Foster. Thank you, Tom Delfino and George Huddleston Kohler, another longtime backer. Yeah. You've written that name down a number of times. That's a lot of letters are right there. Thank you to Tony Vacantillos and to Miles Germer. Tony's been around a long time. Miles, I've known Miles for quite some time. This is going to be his first film fest. I'm so excited to have him. Oh, wow. That's cool. Thanks so much to Holly Stave and Robin Lindsay. And thank you to Jessica Brash and to Stuart Williams. Stuart Stuart from Wales. Thank you to Amy Raby and Jessica Moore. And thank you to Chase Baldwin, bass player for Tip to Bass, of course. And to Barto Langello. Thank you to Tori McCaig and Scott Foster. And thank you to Will Emnium and to April. And thank you to longtime sponsor GT Printing Equipment and guest 17588. <laughs> yes, good old GT Printing Equipment and guest. You know, these guests, they're giving them a number and they take away their name. Get Secret <laughs> Agent Man? No. Yes, Secret Agent Man. Thank you. That was so not worth it. <laughs> but Bob Kenyon, thank you. You're worth it. And Gregory Smith, two people I know, like in real life, who aren't even in the Pacific Northwest. Although what? Gregory Smith is up that way right now. So. IRL supporters, that's awesome. Thank you to yeah. Michael Burroughs and Dennis Benjamin. And thank you to Curtis Lowe, longtime supporter Curtis Lowe, and Chris Dawson Ripley. Thank you to another longtime backer, Patrick Crowley and Julie Hoverson, one of our favorite people. That's so great. And of course, Mr. Jerry Cooch. Thank you. And Eric Winkler. Thank you. Thank you to one of my favorite people, Liam Price and Jess. And thank you to Dion of Stalker Farms, longtime sponsor, longtime supporter, longtime friend of the show. Thank you so much. You and guest. Thank you. 
Thank you to Kevin Lawrence and Jim Rowan. Holy shit. What? That's awesome. We went to high school with Jim. I had no idea that he I didn't even Where is he? That's is he awesome. like in your backyard or something? I that's don't know. amazing. Thank you, Jim. That oh, that's awesome. Wow. And thank you to Bill Beats. Bill Beats heard your Beats. stuff at the beginning of this show. That's right, the producer of our theme song. Way to go, Bill Beats. And to Lawrence Kurasina. Thank you. And finally, thank you to Anthony and guest 1607. Thank you to all of you very much for your support. We're going to work really hard over the next couple of months to bring you the very best Comedy of Horrors Film Festival we can. You're going to enjoy it. We're going to enjoy it. It's going to be great. Thank you again. Yeah. Wow. So what do you think, Steve? It's about time to bring this sucker home. I think it's time to bring it home, my man. All right. Our usual bullshit. You can find the show at 425-296-6557 or via email to steve at bonehand.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can find myself at MightyWombat.com. I'm also on the Facebook, and I ignore the Twitters. You do indeed. I am on the Twitters. I am Bonehand over there. Uh, You can also find the Heavy Half Hour podcast, which I am uh, the owner of, over at Bonehand.com. Best metal podcast around. Oh, thanks, man. We also have a Facebook group, of course, where you can find uh, shorts and other good stuff having to do with the film festival. Sweet deals, uh, music. When uh, Bone Bat bands come out with new music, you will find it there first. Uh, Dual Core just released a holiday song that you can find linked there on the uh, page, as well as stuff from Grammar Club, all kinds of great music. Uh, Tad, we've got it all there uh, on our Facebook feed. We also have a Twitter Bone Bat feed, which uh, keeps you up to date on all your film festival news, so you can follow that as well. Uh, And uh, thank you for listening. If you like what we do, please spread the word and tell a friend. Got one last song for you tonight. A little bit of a rarity from BR549. or slow things down a little bit. This is from 2012's An East Nashville Christmas Compilation. It's called A Truck Stop Christmas. I hope you enjoy it. Once again, this is Steve. This is Gord. Have a good one. I do have a good one. And Merry Christmas. And rawr. They've closed the interstate. Nothing to do but wait. I parade and red tail lights in front of me. The snow is a salting down. Twelve hours from my hometown. And this ain't no way to spend the Christmas Eve. A billboard back there said, There's a truck stop up ahead. So I decides to pull her over. My hunger fed Fondle for my phone Cause I shouldn't be calling home Tell her I can't make it That I'm not worse for dread But it looks like this is gonna be A truck stop Christmas Miles from where I really want 
truck stop Christmas and a lonesome Christmas Eve. What's up, everybody? Uh, since we recorded this, it's a Christmas miracle. Pistol Pete from Detroit's Twistin' Tarantulas fired in with this little holiday number as an added Christmas bonus. So enjoy, Merry Christmas, and have a good one. Every year around this time, the song about me starts playing. Every year people try to find me and ask me questions. But I don't do interviews, because the truth about how I felt back then makes people uncomfortable. See, because of that 15 minutes of fame, I hate Christmas. Someone rings a sleigh bell around me, they get a hoof in their ass. I curse that foggy Christmas Eve, and it's time I'll tell you why. Light the fuse on this track, Roscoe. I'm about to go off. So now you love me cause you found some use for me All this time of shun and abuse to me How many come along that just didn't fit Marginalized and treated like shit Original misfit Rudolph here Triple R on the mic, let me make something clear All the other reindeer can suck my dick Now they all love me but they make me sick Laughed at, left out, called names Suddenly needed me and everything changed Hmm now here's the real shit should go down in history Fat Santa's whip on our backs till they're blistery Exploiting our species all this time The Great Claw's fortune 
built on a great crime. The thing is, you should have loved me from the start. Never mind my nose, you should have looked at my heart. I was kind and friendly before all this. A hip little deer that you all missed. If I seem angry, I think I got a right. What if I didn't guide the sleigh that night? Fuck that man and all those toys. I didn't know nothing to the good girls and boys. I did it anyway to try to change the way you treat others that look a little strange. Listen to the carols that hide your wrongs. But we can read between the lines in the songs. Bullies of the world, your bill has come due. Merry Christmas to some, but most certainly not you.